Welcome to Calvary Chapel Irmo's weekly verse-by-verse teaching. Join us now as Pastor David leads us through Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 39, teaching us about God's golden chain of commitment. Father God in heaven, you are always by our side. Your word says you will never leave us nor forsake us. Where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that when your people gather, you're here because you're with us. Lord, uh, the church is not a, we know it's not a building, it's your people that come together. So Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for this time of worship. And so Lord, right now, as we just get into your word, I pray, Father God, that you'll teach us as we look at your word, verse by verse, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I want you to be able to follow along with us in the word. Today... This, this morning, we're in our final Sunday of Romans chapter 8, and we will be finishing up Romans chapter 8 today. And what we're looking at is God's commitment to you. There is no greater commitment in the universe than the one that we're talking about today. There's no higher commitment, no, no parent-child relationship, no employer relationship, no laws of the universe, anything. We are looking at the greatest commitment in the universe, and that is the commitment from God to us. And it's it's amazing. Last week, uh, as we were looking at God's commitment to us, last week, what did we look at? We looked at the work of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, specifically in, in the area of him teaching us how to pray and how to live a godly life. And then the second thing we looked at last week was um, God is good. God, God is good, and there is a promise from God to us for good. He works, to, he works all things together for the good of those who love God, those who are according to his purpose. So now what we're going to do is this morning, we're going up on the mountain peak. We're going up into the heavenlies, And we are going to look at a passage that theologians for centuries have called the golden chain of redemption. How many ever heard that term, the golden chain of redemption? Okay, we're looking at the golden chain of redemption, except I'm going to rename it. I'm going to call it, going in line with my sermon, I'm going to call it the golden chain of commitment. It means the same thing, but God's golden chain of commitment to you. And you're going to see at the end of this message that there is no higher commitment, not even your commitment to the Lord. All right, I, I know we're committed to Jesus, and we love the Lord, and we're committed to him, but his commitment is greater, much, much greater than what the human heart can make in a commitment. Amen? Amen. Amen. So turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and let's read verses 29 and 30. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Great passage of scripture. Volumes and volumes have been written on this passage, and we're going to dig into it. And yes, we're going to talk about that big word this morning called predestination. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's, not, it's, it's an encouraging, wonderful doctrine. But anyway, let's take a look at it. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, 
whom he predestined, those he called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, God's relationship with us, our relationship with him, can be seen from two perspectives, okay? Let's just go ahead and lay that foundation. It can be seen from two perspectives. God's perspective and man's perspective. A heavenly perspective and an earthly perspective. And that's what we see in Scripture. Question for you. How many of you, by, by show of hands, have ever been to Chimney Rock? Chimney Rock, North Carolina. Okay, we've got a handful of people. Question for you. How would you describe it? How would you describe it? Well, that depends. That depends on if you went up to the top of the mountain or if you stayed in the valley. If you stayed in the valley, I've been there before, Pigeon Rock, there's Lake Lord, there's the Bat Cave right down the road. You know, you see lots of trees, lots of covering the creek, running along the road. And that's, how you, that's, that's all you see from the road. But if you go up to the top to Lookout Peak or to Table Rock, you can see um, for almost 70 miles around. On a clear day, they have, they have photographed pictures of Charlotte, North Carolina from Table Rock. But you can see all the grandeur of the mountains and, and, and like lower back here. You can see it all, and it's beautiful. Well, that's what we're doing this morning. I'm taking you up on top of the mountain in Scripture to see our relationship with God from his perspective. Y'all ready to do it? Let's pray, and we'll look at these five chains, these five commitments. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. As we get into it now, um, let us soak these truths in. Let these sink deep in our heart. Your commitment to us, your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's look at it. Verse 29, Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew. There's our first word. Foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge. That means, foreknowledge means to know beforehand. God Knew you in the womb. Guess what? Not only did he know you in the womb, he knew you before the foundation of the world in eternity past. This can be hard to get our brains wrapped around, but it's the truth of Scripture. He knew you before the foundation of the world. It's like this. You were on God's mind long before he was on your mind. How many of y'all can think back to when was the first time you started thinking serious thoughts about God? I remember it very clearly. I was 12 or 13 years old, living out in Gaston, South Carolina. Right there where Highway 6 and Blackville cross, I was walking to my friend's house. And if you're familiar with Blackville Road and Highway 6, it's four cornfields in each direction. And it was a beautiful, sunshiny day the sun was coming through the clouds, and it was hitting the top of the uh, corn. And it was producing that golden look. And it was so beautiful. And I'll never forget, it hit me that day. I was like, wow, there is a God. We are not here by accident. I saw his glory in creation, and I was blown away. And I remember that was the day I first started having thoughts about God. And who he was as I saw the grandeur of creation. I remember I'd heard in school, you know, we come from monkeys, a big bang explosion. And I remember walking down Highway 6, down Hickory Lane, looking out across that cornfield, and I said, there is no way a big bang created that. That is just too beautiful. 
But those thoughts filled my mind as I thought about God. Well, check this out. Those are the days my thoughts were on the Lord. His thoughts were on me and on you from all eternity. From all eternity. It says, uh, those he, he, he foreknew. He knew us ahead of time. He, he, he foreknew. He, he, knew, he knows the future. Continuing in verse 29, it says, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Predestination. What is it? It's God in advance. Before you were born, he chose you. He chose you. Now, I know if you're like me, I look back at my Christian walk, and I remember the day I decided to follow Jesus. I remember I made a decision that I wanted to become a Christian. I wanted to get saved. I wanted to be in a right relationship with God. And I remember the day I chose to follow Christ. But listen to what Jesus is, listen to Jesus' words in John 15, 16. Yes, I did decide to follow him, but he chose me. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Yes, we did decide to follow Christ. But in God's omniscience and almighty power and who he is, he chose us before we chose him. That should comfort us. That should strengthen our hearts, knowing that we're in his sovereign hand and he holds us. When? When did he choose us? Ephesians 1.4 answers that question when he chose us. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. See how this can be hard to understand? We think in time, space, and matter, but God sees things from eternity, and he chose us before the foundation of the world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's chosen you before the foundation of the world. These thoughts, they, they boggle our minds. They, volumes and volumes of, of commentaries have been written on it, but it's just plain and simple. God is God. He is almighty, and he chose us before the foundation of the world. God's love and commitment, it transcends time, it transcends space, and it transcends matter. He's outside the realm of time. He dwells in eternity. Your love... My love, as humans, let's just be honest, is, is fickle. It's there one day, it's not there one day. It's up, it's down, it's left and right. Our love is, but God's love is eternal. God's love is, is, is eternal. God, in his sovereignty and in his love, he, 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 he looks past our mistakes. He knew that we were going to blow it, but he still chose us anyway. Is that amazing or what? He chose us. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this, God certainly, God certainly chose me before the foundation of the world because he never would have chosen me after I was born. He had to have chosen me because, can you say the same thing? Looking back at your own life, man, why would have God chosen me? I've blown it. And, and I've missed the mark so greatly. Why would he choose me? Because of his eternal, unfailing love and his sovereignty. Look at verse uh, 30. Verse 30 
says, we'll move on to the next one. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he called. Who are the called? Who are the called? Those who hear the gospel and respond. Those who hear the word of the Lord. Those who hear the Holy Spirit knocking on their heart. And they say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. That's who the, that's, that's who the, the called are. My question for you this morning is, how did he call you? Some of us, it was a gospel track. Some of us went to church and heard the gospel message. Some of us may have heard it on TV. Some of us were just reading our Bibles. But at some point, we came to a point where we said, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. And he called you out of darkness and brought you into light. I remember um, 1992, I was on a deployment on the USS Concord, and that was the definite season. I noticed I said season of my life that God started, God was calling me. I knew I wasn't in a right relationship. We was on a med deployment, and uh, I remember going out at night and looking across the Mediterranean and seeing this big black sea. And, these, and, this, and the, the heavens, you know, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That night, I just saw all the stars. And I was just like, wow. And I just knew. I knew there was a God. But I knew I wasn't right with him. And I felt him calling on me. I felt him tugging on my heart. And I remember, I went, I remember one time, they, we were taking 45-degree rolls. The skipper came over the intercom and said, everybody get in your bunks. Everybody get in your bunks if you're not on duty because we're, we're, we're 15 foot swells out in the Mediterranean. And I remember as I was laying in that coffin rack, and I was right next to the whole ship, and I could hear the waves pounding in the ocean, just hitting the side of the ship as we were rolling back and forth. And I was just like, man, if something happens, I'm not right with the Lord. And he was just calling me. I remember we pulled into Athens, Greece, and a couple of me and my friends, we said, let's go to the Acropolis. And I remember we were making our way up to the Acropolis. Um, to visit it one day, and I remember, and this was in the middle of the season when God was calling me, I remember seeing this church, and on the side was spray-painted 666. And I was just like, ooh. I was just like, wow. You know, to see a church, see some graffiti 666, you know, it just, God was showing me the evil in the world, and God was calling me. Three or four months later, came back to um, Norfolk, Virginia, off my deployment, went to a church, and gave my life to Christ. And God called me, called me in. And then there's the next thing it says there. Um, whom he called, those he justified. Justification. It's a legal term. It means the debt has been paid. Go with me for a minute. Imagine you're in a court of law. You're guilty of a heinous crime. You name the crime. But you're, you're guilty of a heinous crime. You stand before the judge and the judge says, do you have anything to say before I pass sentence? He shows the pictures on the wall of your guilt, showing that you're clearly guilty of the crime that, you, that, you're, that you're guilty of. And he says, do you have anything to say? And you say, no, Your Honor, I have nothing to say. You look back at your family in the courtroom. They're crying because you're fixing to get put away. You're fixing to have to pay a serious fine for the crime that you've committed. And just as the judge is about to pass sentence, someone comes bursting into the courtroom and says, Wait a minute, Your Honor. I'll pay his fine. Judge Luke says, What? Goes up to the judge, writes the check, pays the fine that you were unable to pay. And the judge looks at you and says, 
you're free to go. This man has paid your fine. You're free to go. You rejoice because you're not being held accountable. That's exactly what justification means. Jesus Christ stepped into your court of law and paid the price for your sins at Calvary so you could be made right with God. So when the Father looks at you, he's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus. and says, Jesus has paid your fine. The word uh, justification, justified, it's a legal term. It means the debt has been paid. God's commitment to you is Jesus paid your fine and you're justified with the Lord. Then it continues there. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a new body. He's talking about the new body, the promise of, of, of life in heaven and a brand new body when we leave this world. But notice, it says, these he also glorified. If you, do you see something there? It's past tense. It's past tense. This shows, this being past tense, this shows how committed God is to you. That even your future, he considers it done. He considers it finished. He will be faithful to complete what he's began in us and what he's done in our life. He, he, he says, to those he justified, those he also glorified. He's talking about that day when we step into heaven and we get that brand new body. Amen? These, my friend, are God's golden chain of commitment to you. Foreknowledge, he knew you, he predestined you before the foundation of the world. He called you, he called you to himself. Then he justified you by Calvary. And his commitment is so certain to you that it says that uh, to those he justified, he also glorified. This, my friend, is the mountaintop view of our relationship with God. This is you on top of Table Rock, North Carolina, looking down at God's grandeur plan. From beginning to end, his glorious, amazing truth. This is his commitment to you. Now, didn't say it was easy to get our, our, our mind wrapped around. We could go a whole lot into this. But we can't. Because it's, it's so big. And it's, it's so glorious. And it's hard to get our, our minds wrapped around it. But check this out. If you try to explain this and go into detail, you will lose your head. You will lose your head. You try to deny it or twist it, you might lose your soul. The sovereignty of God is a huge um, truth of who God is. And it's a truth that we defend, that he knows the past just as well as he knows the future. Just look at the book of Revelation. We know where the world is going because he's already given it to us in his word. Now, two questions that always come up when you talk about predestination, when you talk about election, when you talk about sovereignty. Two questions always get brought up, and those are the two uh, questions that get debated the most. And I want to present those two questions to you that people ask and give you a good uh, biblical answer. The first one is, in this life, does man have a responsibility? Does man have a free will? That's question number one. Question number two, in eternity, people ask this, and, I, and I've heard people say this before, um, but if God predestines people to heaven, if he predestines people to heaven, does that mean he predestines people to hell? 
in his foreknowledge, if he predestines people to heaven, does he predestine people to hell? Let's look at that. Let's take the second one first. Let's take the second one first. Does God predestine people to hell? Okay, what I want to do, I don't want to mess this up. I want to take you to Scripture, and let's see what the Word of God says. Isaiah 45, 22. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Who is the invitation to? To everyone. To the ends of the earth. Just go with me for a minute. As I was thinking about this this week, and just go with me for a moment. For a person to come into this life, to live in this life, and to know that there is a heaven and you can't go? I, I would be hurling every day for the rest of my life. God's plan of redemption is for all people. It, the, the gospel call goes out to everyone. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved who? The world. The world. And uh, it says that whoever believes, I love the King James Version, whosoever will call upon, whosoever. The gospel is for all people. The, there, there, there's foot... There's a place at the cross for all people throughout all time to come and be saved. And then the, the big one um, is 1 John 2.2. 2. 1 John 2.2 2 says, uh, this is pretty, pretty, cut, pretty straightforward. 1 John 2.2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Do you see the two parties in that verse? Do you see the two parties in that verse? Number one, he says, he's the propitiation for our sins, talking about believers. But then he says it right there. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. There's foot, there's a place at Calvary for whosoever will come. I do not believe God predestines no one to hell. Um, when, you, when you search the scriptures and you read the passages on, on predestination, if you read them in context, who are they always talking about? Believers. They're talking about believers. They're, they're talking about Christians. They're talking about those of us who have, been, who have answered the call, who've received Jesus Christ, who have made a decision for Jesus, have decided to follow him, but they've answered the call. Now, David, you may say, how about in Romans chapter 9 where it says, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. Or uh, Romans 9.22 or 9.23 where it says, there's vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What about those verses? Because those are the verses that people will hang on to when they believe that. Join us the second Sunday in January. We'll be there in Romans chapter 9 looking at those two passages. They're glorious. They're glorious. Jacob I love, Esau I hated. God chose Jacob to carry on the godly lineage. He turned Jacob's name into Israel. 
and brought Jesus into the world. Esau, his descendants were the Edomites, and, and they rebelled against the Lord. Uh, and the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. If you read that verse, it says, God waited patiently, enduring patiently for these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in Romans 9.22 and 9.23. And in the very next verse, it says, so they could become vessels of mercy. I don't want to give too much into that, but that'll be the second week of January. But we're going to look at those verses. But the bottom line is God predestines no one to hell. There's foot at the cross for all people. And it's our job as believers to go out and share the good news that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's question number one. Question number two, how about man's responsibility? How, how, how about free will, David? Where, where, what does the scripture say? Three things that I believe God calls us in our own free will to do, and that's to come, call, and follow. We have to come to Jesus, we have to call on Jesus, and we have to follow Jesus. And we have to do that. We have a free will. We have man's responsibility. We, we've left the mountain peak of, of Table Rock, and we're down in the valley of Chimney Rock. We're looking at it from man's perspective. Let's look at those three. The first one is come to Jesus. Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, uh, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. We have a responsibility. Man has a free will, and he, he the scripture beckons us to come unto him, all who are thirsty. Romans 10, 13, that was come. The second one is you, you have to call on Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a responsibility to call upon his name, to bow our knee and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to be my Lord. But we have a responsibility to call upon the name of the Lord. And then finally, we, we, man's responsibility, um, man's free will, we have, we have to take our life and we have to follow Jesus with our life. Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let who? Him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a balance. There's a tension in scripture when we talk about God's sovereignty and man's free will. There's a tension, and you have to hold on to both. What I did this week is I went out, and, and I went out and looked at what John MacArthur said about this passage. John MacArthur is a, is a West Coast uh, Bible teacher, and he, he's uh, um, very strong in, in, in his, in his Calvinist, Calvinistic views, which he's, he's an amazing Bible teacher. But this is what John MacArthur says. He said, there's two parallel themes we see running through the New Testament. And I'm quoting him. I memorized it. He says, there's two parallel themes we see running through the New Testament. And you can't deny either one. And that is one, God's sovereignty. We see God's sovereignty throughout the Bible. But at the same time, we see man's responsibility. Okay? We see man's free will. 
There has to be held, they have to be held in tension because you can support both of them biblically. What I want to do, I, uh, this little book right here is our um, Calvary Chapel booklet we give to visitors out there on the table. And I want to read to you what I put in here. On uh, page three or four, it says, talking about Calvary Chapel, are we Calvinist or are we Arminian? And, and it says in here, we are neither five-point Calvinist nor are we Arminian. We firmly adhere and hold to the biblical teaching of both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We hold on to both because both are biblical. We see them both in Scripture. It's, look at it this way. It's like a man drowning in a river, and there's somebody on a dock, and they have a... Um, what do you call it? A life preserver. Thank you. They have a life preserver. And the guy's drowning in the river. The guy throws the life preserver out to the man drowning. But what does the man drowning have to do? He got to grab on. God in his sovereignty is throwing out the life preserver. It's called the good news of Jesus. And we have to reach out and we have to hold on. We have to hold on. Some people get wrapped around the axle about predestination. It, it causes a lot of heated debates, but it shouldn't because it's God's commitment to you that began in eternity past, that at some point in the past, you decided to follow Jesus, and he brought you in. J. Vernon McGee. How many of y'all ever heard J. Vernon McGee? I love J. Vernon McGee. J, this is what J. Vernon McGee says about the um, predestination. And J. Vernon McGee is an Armenian. But J. Vernon McGee says this, This is not a scary doctrine. This is a comforting and wonderful doctrine that comforts the heart of every believer. Because God holds us. It's not a scary doctrine. It's not a doctrine to divide over. It, it, it's, it's a doctrine that we hold on to. God's sovereignty, his predestination. At the same time, I'm not going to sing the song, but I have decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Amen. So how do you put them together? How, I'm just going to tell you how, how, how Pastor David puts them together. How does David, Pastor David put um, God's sovereignty and man's free will together? This is how I do it. God, hear me out, this is, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the whole universe. He knows the past from the future. He knows every little thing. There's not one little leaf in, in, in the rainforest of South America that falls to the ground in the middle of the jungle that he is not fully aware of. God is complete sovereign, okay? In his sovereignty, he's given man a free will. He's saying, choose this day. Whom will you serve? What did Joshua say in 24? Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Beautiful doctrine, the sovereignty of God, predestination. It's amazing. Paul, now the Apostle Paul, look at verse 31. As we wrap this chapter up, um, the Apostle Paul is now going to go into the benediction. I call this the benediction of, of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Look at it. He says, uh, what then shall we say to these things? What things is he talking about? 
Everything that you and I have looked at over the past three weeks. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago, what we looked at? Adoption. You have been adopted into God's kingdom. What did we look at last week? You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God is for your good. Today, we looked at he foreknew us. He predestined us before the foundation of the world. He called us. He justified. He, he, and he's, he's glorified us. What shall we say in response to those things, to those glorious, amazing truths? Remember what I said? His commitment to you. There's no greater commitment in the universe than the commitment from heaven to you. Look at verse 31. There's no greater commitment. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you understand how big God is? Do you understand how big God is? I don't think you do, because I don't know if I do either. He's humongous. This universe that we live in is endless in every direction, but yet he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He's a big, big God who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the glory throughout all ages. He's a big God, and he's sovereign, and he's in control. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Remember the courtroom? The same God and creator of this universe, this magnificent, this glorious, this huge, he's made a way for his children to be forgiven. He's justified us by Christ's death on the cross. Put us into a right relationship. Um, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, who is furthermore excuse me, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to go on a search for every adverse circumstances that we could possibly go through. The Apostle Paul now, is on, he's on top of Table Rock. He's looking across the universe. He's looking across all everything. And he's like, okay, can I find anything that can separate people from the love of God? Look at it, verse, halfway through verse 35. He, he's looking. What, 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 what adverse circumstances can separate people? Shall tribulation, hard times, shall distress, persecution, or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, what he's saying right here is, he's, what he's saying, what we're saying is, is my life is not mine. It's, it's yours, Lord. It, it belongs to you. We're like a sheep to the slaughter. We're going to follow you to the end no matter what happens. We're going to be faithful in our free will. We're going to follow you, Lord Jesus, as you hold us in your sovereignty. Our life is yours. We're like the sheep. The worship team can begin making their way back up. Verse 37, 
Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can triumph in life. We can live victorious in our Christian walk. We have the victory. Why? Because Christ has made the victory for us. The victory that he has secured for us, we partake of. We partake of. We're more than conquerors. No matter what we face in life, no matter what trial, what tribulation, what heartbreak, through the tears, through the mourning, through the difficult times, we know at the end of the road, God works all things together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, and we're going to see him in the end. Amen? Amen. And we're going to have the victory. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I, he, He's thinking now. He's like, okay, is there anything else that can separate people from the love of Jesus? The gospel... It's for all people on the continent of China, Africa, Europe, South America, North America, North Pole, South Pole, and if there's anybody else anywhere else. The gospel call goes out to, to, all, to, to all people. In verse 38, for the believers, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like how he puts in there, after he says, neither height nor depth, but he says, not any other created thing. In other words, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. For those who are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What you just heard in God's word is the greatest, is the definition of commitment. It is the greatest commitment that God has towards his people. It's the greatest commitment on this side of heaven is his commitment to you. And let me tell you something. God will chase you down. He will hunt you down. He will pursue you till you're in complete surrender. He knows your heart. Just like he knows every little leaf that, that falls in the, in, in, the, in the rainforest of South America. Just like he knows every little piece of ice in the North and South Pole, he knows everything about you in your life. And he pursues you. He pursues people and says, come unto me, all you are, and I will give you rest. I will give you eternal life for those who will call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that We've just seen the greatest commitment. And it's the, it's the commitment that you've made to your children, that you predestined us, that you knew us before the foundation of the world, that you called us out 
you've justified us, Lord. These are amazing truths. And Lord, if there's anyone here that, that, that wrestles with these, I pray, Father, that they'll see these in a new light this morning. They'll be like, that is my, that is my Lord and my God, his commitment to me. That's how these should be looked at. That's, how the, that's what, what your word is. That's how you see us, your commitment to us. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening with us. We hope this message has been a blessing to you and will help you lead a more Christ-centered life this week. If you'd like to fellowship with us, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Our address is 110 Honors Village Drive in Irmo, South Carolina. Feel free to call us at 803-917-8792.